0: The fall of Babylon. So in Revelation 17, we saw this woman riding this scarlet beast. And she was a prostitute or a harlot. She was actually called the mother of harlots. So she's given birth to a lot of uh, movements that have prostituted themselves. And we talked about the fact that ultimately, Revelation 17 was talking about a religious system and spiritual prostitution. God, when he paints a picture for his children, the children of Israel, and he asks for their faithfulness to him, whenever, that they, whenever they would get involved with false gods, whenever they would burn uh, incense up on the mountaintops, whenever they would uh, flirt with or mess with other gods, you can go all the way back to the golden calf incident in the Exodus. God painted a picture of spiritual adultery or spiritual prostitution. In essence, we would say the people were cheating on him. They were not showing fidelity to him. They were not showing faithfulness to him. This idea of prostituting oneself against the true God goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. It goes back to the Garden of Eden when the promise came from the deceiver. Oh, the day that you eat that fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be as what? As gods, knowing good and evil. The promise of godhood, the promise of exaltation, the promise that you can rise up and be your own god or goddess has been the lie that started at the very beginning. It took more shape as the book of Genesis unfolds after the flood. There was a man who was the mover and shaker behind a place uh, called Babylon or Babel and his name was Nimrod and his name means rebellion. And he was probably the prime mover and shaker behind the Tower of Babel. This tower that they decided to erect as they all spoke the same language and they stayed together instead of dispersing upon the earth as God had instructed. They said, we will build a tower. We will make a name for ourselves. And the tower will reach up into the heavens. And there are some commentators that believe that somehow these people thought maybe that they could storm the gates of heaven and take over. After all, that's pretty much been man's desire from the beginning is to take over, to take God's throne, to take God's spot. Or maybe they just made the tower to make a name for themselves, to make an imprint for themselves in history. If you turn to Isaiah 47, there's an address to ancient Babylon, Isaiah chapter 47, as God speaks out against the nation that developed from this system. I will tell you that since Babylon's called the mother of harlots, she's given spawn to all kinds of idolatry. In fact, every pantheon of gods and goddesses, if you go from Egypt and you go down throughout the ages, has really found its birth in Babylon or in ancient Babel. Babel really means confusion ultimately, and that's what false religion brings. It brings confusion to people. There's one God. And one mediator between God and man, that is the man, Christ Jesus. And the lie of the enemy from the beginning has been, no, there's more than one God, there's more than one way. But Jesus said, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. And no one is coming to the Father except through me. By the way, that's what gets Christianity in trouble. You all know that? Because people say, oh, that's a very exclusive claim. You're saying that Jesus is the only way? No, I'm not saying that. That's what Jesus said. Your argument is with Jesus, my friend. Now, if you want to dismiss what he said, I guess that's up to you. But that is what he said. In Isaiah 47, as God is dealing with the nation of Babylon, he says, come down, 1 of Isaiah, sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne. O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no longer be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind meal. Remove your veil. Strip off the skirt. Uncover the leg. Cross the rivers. Your nakedness will be uncovered. Your shame also will be exposed. I will take vengeance and will not spare a man. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Sit silently and go into darkness o daughter of the Chaldeans Chaldeans another name for the Babylonians for you will no more be called the queen of kingdoms you might want to mark that and write in your margin revelation 18 i was angry with my people i profaned my heritage and gave them into your hand you did not show mercy to them on the aged you made your yoke very heavy yet you said i shall be a queen forever These things you did not consider, nor remember the outcome of them. Verse 8. Now then, hear this, you sensual one, who dwells securely, who says in your heart, I am, and there was no one besides me. Oops, isn't that what God says about himself? She's trying to be God. I shall not sit as a widow, nor shall I know loss of children. But these two things shall come on you suddenly in one day. Loss of children and widowhood. They shall come on you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries, in spite of the great power of your spells. And you felt secure in your wickedness, and you said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge, they have deluded you. For you said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me, but evil will come on you, which you will not know how to charm away, and disaster will fall on you, For which you cannot atone, and destruction about which you do not know will come on you suddenly. Stand fast now in your spells, in your many sorceries with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you will be able to profit. Perhaps you may cause trembling. You are wearied with your many counsels. Let now the astrologers, those who prophesy by the stars, those who predict by the new moon, stand up and save you. For what will come upon you? Behold, They have become like stubble. Fire burns them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. There will be no coal to warm by, nor a fire to sit before. So have those become to you with whom you have labored, who have trafficked with you from your youth. Each one has wandered in his own way. There is no one to save you. Some years ago, uh, I think a television program came out called Revelations. Revelations. Did you guys ever see the program? I don't know if it rings a bell to you. But they quoted a part of Isaiah 14 and completely, or Isaiah 47, and completely took it out of context, using this idea of spells and sorcery almost to make it sound good or to make it sound biblical. Just so you know, God is actually castigating Babylon for spreading sorcery to the world for merchandising people, for being the mother of harlots, for telling people lies. And this is what has happened throughout the ages. If you go back to Revelation chapter 18, and God God in many ways has put up with it. He has been patient. In Revelation 17, though, religious Babylon is going to fall. And then you could say Revelation 18, if you like to put headings on your Bible, will be commercial Babylon or political Babylon Falling. The religious and political system go together. In fact, in Revelation 17, the woman who represents the spiritual side of the equation is riding the beast, representing the Antichrist or the political side of the equation. Religion is riding on politics, if you will. Religion and politics, when they come together, it usually doesn't work really well. Christians should be involved in swaying and being righteous within the political system. But if they have an unhealthy marriage, usually religion ends up compromising for the sake of politics. You guys have heard of uh, the euro. There's different images on the euro. The euro coin in Greece actually has a woman riding on top of a beast. It's pretty interesting. It's a new currency called the euro. And a woman is riding on a beast. Well, that's directly from Revelation 17. You can look at a picture on, the, on uh, the Internet if you just Google the euro. This is the way the world has been moving. And the world has been moving more and more to a, you might call it, back in the day it was called a new world order. Did you guys hear that being talked about? A new world order. And it was this idea that maybe there can be a one world government. Maybe there can be a one world religion. Maybe that's how the world will all be able to get along. And political leaders, sometimes behind closed doors, and religious leaders, sometimes not so much behind closed doors, have made efforts to synchronize the world. It sounds good. We are the world, we are the children. It sounds good when we sit by the fire and and we sing the happy campfire songs. But in reality, if Christianity is going to preach its message, it's going to have to be faithful to the gospel. And by virtue of the gospel message, it is quite exclusive. So we've had religious leaders who have tried to you know, get together with other religious leaders and You know, in certain contexts, to work together on certain things, that could perhaps be beneficial. But not for spiritual purposes, because we're not praying to the same God, let's face it. It it takes compromise, and compromise not in the best sense, but in the worst sense. And so here's what's going to happen. Babylon is going to be judged. First of all, you see spiritual Babylon in Revelation 17, and now you have Political Babylon, it's going to fall, and it's going to fall hard. And it's a commercial system, really based upon serving the God called Mammon. This is a little hard to talk about to Americans because we live in a very wealthy society. We live in a capitalistic society, which is a positive thing. But we live in a very wealthy society, and sometimes the lines between our wealth and how comfortable we need to be and how much money we need to have and how much money we actually give towards the purposes of God confront us consistently, amen? And we have to decide, how comfortable do I need to be? How much money is enough money? How much in my 401k is enough? You guys heard... uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the pastor, but his famous speech when he read uh, in Reader's Digest about this elderly couple that moved to Florida and the highlight of their week was, was collecting seashells. Various types of seashells. Let me ask you, what are you living for? Are you going to stand before your maker one day and say, Hey, Lord, look at these seashells I collected on the beach. Or, I'll make it more personal. Look at this scorecard. I shot 76. Lord. (laughs) Hmm? (laughs) Couple of mulligans and, anyway. I'm not saying you shouldn't collect seashells. I'm not saying you shouldn't play golf, praise the Lord, but (laughs) what I am saying is if your life is not dominated by seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then you are not living for what you were made to do. We We have people who are probably in the top 10, 20 in worldly wealth, they sit down with interviewers on primetime television and one after the other say, I'm a very unhappy person. I lack inner peace. And you're like, what in the world is going on with that? If, if a house on the hill and fame and fortune is what this life is all about, why are these people not happy? Because that is not what your life is about. Jesus said a man's life is not found in the abundance of the things that he possesses. It's about who you know and where you're going. And our young people going through university systems right now, do you know what their main goals are in life? Pretty much fame and fortune. Because that's what they've been told is the end goal for life. That's Babylon. That's, I'll build a tower. I'll make a name for myself. Maybe I'll even be as high as God. And God says, no, you won't. If you want to find your true purpose, serve me. And you will find what life is all about. Fallen, fallen. Revelation 18, 2, a double. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She was great, but she has become, would you notice, a dwelling place of demons, a prison of every unclean spirit, And a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. What is behind her is demonic. She looked good. She had wealth. She had possessions. She had religion. She had fame. She maybe dominated militarily, but behind her was what? Things that were demonic. She has become a dwelling place of demons. You know, That there seems to be certain regions of the world that have more demonic activity than others. Why is that? In the book of Daniel, there's indications that there are powers that are over certain regions. as the prince of Persia and so forth. Mentioned in Daniel chapter 10. Why is it that certain places are darker than others? Here's why. Because when God is not there, it becomes dark. When God gets kicked out, when God gets supplanted for whatever the false gods and goddesses may be, it becomes a terrible place. In the book of Isaiah, just write this down for your notes. It's uh, verses 19 through 22 of chapter 13. 13, 19 through 22. Here's what it says of ancient Babylon, but it's set in a last day's day of the Lord context. Babylon, the beauty of kingdoms, the glory of the Chaldeans' pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It will never be inhabited or lived in from generation to generation. Nor will the Arab pitch his tent there, nor will shepherds make their flocks lie down there. But desert creatures will lie down there. Their houses will be full of owls. Ostriches uh, also will live there, and shaggy goats will frolic there. Hyenas will howl in their fortified towers jackals in their luxurious palaces. Her hateful, her, excuse me, her fateful time also will come and her days will not be prolonged. Throughout the book of Revelation, Babylon gets prophesied against by God and says, you're, you're in trouble. You're going to be judged. And Babylon, although it is somewhat mysterious, some people, some scholars say maybe the area of modern day Iraq will be rebuilt and it will flourish again, almost like has happened in Dubai. Have you guys paid attention to Dubai? So it's, it's an incredible place. Wealthy, money flowing in, incredible buildings. Could ancient Babylon and the area of modern day Iraq rise again? Well, do you know that when Saddam Hussein was uh, doing his, his stuff there, He was actually rebuilding ancient Babylon. He had a coin minted with his picture next to ancient Nebuchadnezzar's picture. He was rebuilding the hanging gardens of Babylon. Why? Well, was it a fulfillment of prophecy? Prophecy? I don't know. Or is Babylon more a composite of that which is anti-God? Is it an anti-God system? I think probably the latter, in Revelation 17, remember when we talked about the beast and the woman that rides on it and the nations and the kings and the seven, horn, seven heads and ten horns? We talked about ancient nations, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome. We mentioned the possibility that Nazi Germany could be involved in that list. We talked about how they had one thing in common. Do you remember what the one thing in common they had was? Their hatred and persecution of Israel. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Rome. I mean, this is what they did. They persecuted the woman, Revelation 12. This is the conflict of the ages. And by the way, as the church, you have been grafted into the woman. You have been grafted into the olive tree. And when the serpent the dragon saw that he was kicked out. He met, he went and made war on her offspring, the offspring of the woman, which is likely the church. Have you noticed the church in the world is not necessarily popular? Anybody notice that Christians are not necessarily popular? I'll say this, and this won't be a political statement. It'll just be a commentary on where we were headed into the last election, I was extremely fearful that if it went in another direction, and I'm just going to say for religious purposes, I was starting to wonder what would happen to pastors in America. Because there was a, a political leader in Texas that was starting to ask for copies of pastor's sermons. She wanted to edit the sermons and check them before they were preached in, Texas. Did you hear me say that? Texas, not California. Texas. I'm telling you, folks. We in America, we were at a place that I think was very pivotal for religious freedom. And we got a reprieve. I'm not going to tell you. You know, I'm not going Republican, Democrat here. I'm just saying, look, we got to reprieve as far as religious liberty is concerned. We did. And this is where we are today in terms of just looking at the landscape. We just did a national day of prayer for the persecuted church all over the world. Some things that are happening today are frankly, they're hard to take. I get, do you guys get the emails from Jay Sekula? The, what's the, uh, what is it, the ACLJ? Where they're talking about Christians being crucified in these countries, beheaded, now, today? You're like, really? Really? And so Babylon now is fallen. She's going to be destroyed. All the nations, here's the reason, Revelation 18.3, Not some, but all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. That word immorality is always the Greek word pornea. The kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. The merchants of the earth, you have kings and merchants now, have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Think with me just for a second. If Babylon is some world system anti-God that is making the kings and the merchants of the earth wealthy, what is her mechanism? What is she selling? How is the world become wealthy? Just back up for a second and ask the question, how do countries become wealthy? Well, you could say America has done well because it's been a capitalistic society. But America is trading with other countries right now. And wealth is largely dependent on imports and exports and trade deals and that kind of thing. And as each election comes along, what do people say their top concern is in our own elections? It's the economy. It's the economy. And in one sense, we understand that. We all want to take care of our families and we all want things to work well and do well. But, but look, it's not just about the economy. Because at some point when God looks at the heart of a nation, he can deal a death blow to the economy in a microsecond. You know, I'm sure you've been watching, but the reports are flowing out now about all kinds of sexual harassment cases in the upper echelons of our government, in the upper echelons of Hollywood, and not just there. And, you know, if you think back to earlier years and earlier presidents, some people said, well, it doesn't really matter what happens in the White House because all that matters is if the economy is good and the person's doing their job And things are getting done, and people are are getting ahead. It doesn't matter. Oh, let me say to you it does matter. It matters to God. Character does matter to God. And God sees. God sees the cover ups, He sees the back room deals. And the whole world, verse three, has drunk the Kool Aid. The whole world has drunk the wine of the passion of him, her immorality. She has spread the cup everywhere. It seems like everybody's taking a drink of it. Everybody's benefiting from it. What is it? How is she helping the world to make money? I'm going to let you think about that. But there's some big industries in the world right now that aren't so pretty, but they're making people some big money. And I heard a voice, another voice from heaven. I think this is the voice of God, verse four, saying, come out of her, my people, that you may not participate in her sins and that you may not receive of her plagues. Now flip back to Revelation 14 for a second. Revelation 14, you may be asking the question, at what point in the chronology of the end times is this all happening? Uh, Revelation 14, we, we have angels uh, flying through the mid heaven, And uh, if you look at verse <clears throat> 8 of Revelation 14, another angel, a second one followed, 14.8, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Warning goes out in verse 6, the gospel is preached to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. The people are told, verse seven, fear God, give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come or is about to commence and worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea and the springs of water. This seems to occur, if you turn back to Revelation 18, before the wrath of God has come. It's probably some point at the middle of Daniel's 70th week. So we've talked about that seven year period. This is probably three and a half years in. I've told you that I don't believe the wrath of God starts until towards the end of the seven years. I think it's Satan's wrath and man's wrath against one another. But before the wrath of God comes, Babylon's fall is pronounced and a warning is given. The gospel is preached and people are told, worship God and fear him and don't take that mark. Don't drink the cup. Don't do it for pragmatic reasons because Babylon is not going to last. And if you go back to Revelation eighteen four, God speaks from heaven and says, if this is at the midpoint, just think about it. Come out of her, my people, that you may not participate in her sins and that you may not receive of her plagues. Come out of her, my people. The temptation for the church with Babylon, as I mentioned earlier, is to somehow come together, sit at the table, Maybe mediate a compromise. But God's saying, no, you're going to win the world by staying holy and true to who I am and to the gospel. Don't don't compromise on the most important things of your life. Come out of her, my people. In 2 Corinthians 6, Paul quotes this idea and says, what what, uh, relationship has light with darkness, Christ with Belial? You cannot, as a believer, be unequally yoked with what? An unbeliever. You can't do it. You say, what does it mean to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever? It means to be in some sort of partnership, some sort of uh, communion or koinonia. It means to partner with someone in the most important areas of life. It could mean marriage, but here in 2 Corinthians 6, it actually speaks of spiritual partnerships, All of 2 Corinthians is really about false teachers and Paul defending his apostleship and defending his gospel. Think about it. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers has the idea of don't water down the gospel for the sake of false teaching or false teachers. Everybody with me? You can't do that. You must retain the purity of the gospel. And so heaven chimes in come out of here. Come out of her, my people! Don't participate with her sins. For her, Babylon's sins, verse five, have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Man, finally, it's become a stench in God's nostrils. See the the idea of Babylon's sins, verse five, piling up as high as heaven. Do you remember in Genesis eleven when they were going to build the tower? they said these words, write down 11.4 of Genesis. They said, come let us build for ourselves a city, a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make ourselves for ourselves a name or a monument lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Let's build a tower as high as heaven. And God says in Revelation 18, their sins have stacked up one on top of the other now as high as heaven. How high is heaven? It's pretty high, I think. This is a lot of sins over time. This is one sin stacked upon another, upon another, upon another. They've come up as high as heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. And then a voice says, pay her back, even as she has paid six, and give back to her double according to her deeds. In the cup which she has mixed... Mixed twice as much for her. What she has dealt out, what she has poured out, make her drink the cup, double what she has given. You remember when they made the golden calf and Moses came down and said to Aaron, what have you done? And Aaron basically said, well, you know how the people are, they're stubborn, man. And they gave me the gold and we threw it in the fire and out popped this calf. Incredible, man. Man, that's the lamest excuse of all time coming from the high priest of Israel, right? So they ultimately, at Moses' command, they ground up the golden calf and threw it into the water and they made the people drink it. Isn't that glorious? Go ahead. You want the golden calf? Gulp, gulp, gulp. Now you parents, this is where washing the kid's mouth out with soap came from. Amen? Anybody ever tried that? Clean your tongue. Go ahead. <laughs> well, she's going to get back double. Nebuchadnezzar built a ziggurat in, in Babylon. There's an inscription that's been discovered by archaeology, a commemorative inscription that reads, The fortification of aseg ilah in Babylon He says, I strengthened and made an everlasting name for my reign, close quote. But you know, pillars and monuments and trophies and statues, well, they corrupt over time. And Babylon, even though she looks good and powerful, is going to fall. To the degree, verse 7, that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen. I'm not a widow and will never see mourning. Write down Isaiah 47, 7. That's where we turned to earlier. She said, in essence, I'm untouchable. Nothing's ever going to happen to me. There are people who are walking the planet today and they think they're the untouchables. They're impenetrable. Nothing's going to ever happen to them. Nothing's going to go south. Nothing's going to go wrong. They can continue to walk the razor's edge and it's going to be fine. And then something happens. She glorified herself. Uh, This this idea that she says, I'm a queen and not a widow, may relate to the idea of the queen of heaven from Jeremiah 44. That she said, I'm this goddess that is to be worshipped. For this reason, because of her boast, verse 8, because of who she is and what she does to damage mankind, in one day, for this reason, in one day, verse 8, her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine. She will be burned up with fire, for the Lord God who judges her is strong. But she's this incredible place with incredible power, but in one day, she's going to fall. You know, in the ancient world, if you were going to try to besiege a city, it would take you weeks, months, even years to destroy a powerful city with ramparts and towers and, and archers who were trying to deal with you as you approach the city. It could take you months, even years. But Babylon, this composite anti-God system or city, is going to fall, look at verse 8, in one day. In fact, Later, we're going to see in one hour. One hour. Uh, In the ancient world, very unlikely that a, a powerful city could fall in a day or an hour. But in today's day and age, how quickly could a city fall? How quickly could a area code be decimated? I mean, we have some interesting times going on with North Korea right now, right? Where we're trying to figure out where this gentleman is coming from, if I can call him that, who's making threats to America and testing bombs. And you know, today, a push of a button could destroy multiple areas. So this is, this is probably, it affirms the future nature of what's going on. The kings of the earth who committed nine acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament. They will wail in loud lamentation over her when they see the smoke of her burning. One day when Babylon falls, the kings of the earth, those who committed acts of immorality with her, they will cry when they see the smoke of her burning. This is a a quotation from a commentary. The kings please themselves with Babylon, but when she falls, they want no part of her punishment. Notice how their grief does not result from the injustice Babylon did. Their grief does not spring from the lives they ruined in alliance with Babylon. They do not grieve about the way they dishonored God or led others to do the same. They wail for Babylon, but their concern is not for Babylon. Notice how they do not seek to help her. They weep and lament, but they watch her burn, is basically what's going on. They stand afar off. We'll see in verse 10 and for the fear of her torment. They are not about to risk themselves in order to help Babylon. This shows that they do not love Babylon. They love themselves. They're only mourning because Babylon will give them no more sensual and immoral favors. Living for Babylon is about living for yourself. It's the message of the world. Look at verse 10. They stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment. And they say, whoa, whoa, or alas, alas, the great city Babylon, the strong city for, what your Bible say? In one hour, your judgment has come. They stand at a distance. You know, some commentators have said, maybe something uh, nuclear has happened there. Maybe they're fearful of somehow, you know, participating in some way or being affected by your judgment. And the, merchant, the merchants, the kings in verse uh, The last few verses, now the merchants, the wholesalers, the the ones in commerce, international trade of the earth, they weep and mourn over her because no one, why do they cry? Because no one, what, buys their cargoes or their merchandise anymore. They don't cry for her. They cry that sales are down. It's so horrible that Babylon is burning. My God is burning. Why? Sales are down 25%. I don't care about her. I don't care about the smoke of her torment. But man, she was a great business partner. You remember Ebenezer Scrooge? Jacob Marley appears to him on that fateful night. And... Scrooge can't understand what Marley's trying to say to him. You were a good man of business. A good man of business. And we sat there, he says, in our money-grinding business, and we did not pay attention to humanity. Do you see the chain I drag, Ebenezer? Your chain was this long seven Christmases ago. Whoa. (laughs) Powerful, isn't it? My chain was that long seven Christmases ago? Yep. Oh, maybe I had had some bad french fries. Maybe this isn't real. Maybe I shouldn't have ate that burrito at Del Taco at 11 p.m. No. You will be visited by three spirits. Right? Do you know the original version of that story was very on point about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's been watered down by the telling, but it's actually all centered in the hope of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they weep. No one buys our cargo anymore. Look at the list of cargo. And I will give credit. I was listening to John Corson teach on this, and he related this to shopping at Macy's. (laughs) I'll leave that up to you. But he did it by floors. So here's how it goes. Verse 12, we can't sell our cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls. Floor number one, jewelry, gold, silver, precious stones and pearls. Floor number two is apparel. Just push the elevator button. I got a funny story about my, my mom. One day I think I want to write a sitcom about my mom and the Italian family. One day she and her husband were somewhere. And uh, my mom is a germaphobe. So she didn't want to press the elevator button with her finger. So she pressed it with her knuckle. Okay. So she hit the button with her knuckle and the doors in the elevator started going, bam, 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 bam. And my stepdad said to my mom, it's because you push the button with your knuckle. Why did you do that? You messed up the doors by pushing the button with your knuckle. Don't you think that would make a great sitcom episode? Anyway. Floor number two, ding, apparel, fine linen, silk, scarlet. Floor number three is home furnishings, citron wood, middle of 12, every article of ivory, every article made from very costly wood, bronze, iron, marble. Verse 13. Floor number four, ding, is cosmetics. Cinnamon spice and everything nice. Oh, no, it doesn't say that in. Incense, perfume, frankincense. Well, you go up the elevator to floor number five, it's the food court, ding. There's olive oil, fine flour, wheat, hamburgers, That's cattle. What? (laughs) And sheep. Cargoes of horses. Uh, Floor number six, ding, is automotive. It's uh, cargoes of horses and chariots. And floor number seven is slaves in human lives. The word for slaves is soma. The word for human lives is suke. That's why many of the translations say the body and souls of men. See, Babylon just doesn't deal in. Goods, it deals in souls. It sells people out. You know how I mentioned to you, industry in the world, backdoor deals, things that we may not want to talk about. Well, there's things going on with human trafficking right now and sex slavery that God knows what's happening. God knows the businessmen, quote unquote, that are involved in this industry today. God knows What's going on? This is Babylon. Babylon traffics in everything, including human souls. They say something like this. Everything's on sale here. You can buy it for a price. And the fruit you long for, 14, has gone from you. All the things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you. And men will no longer find them. Some years ago, we had a church member who worked for a major uh, market chain, a, kind of a supermarket. And uh, somebody, the, the, the individual that worked for the company, passed away. And so there were 50 or 100 people, employees, that came from this company. If I said the name to you, you would know the name. So the gospel was preached And I noticed a a young man on the back row. He was very fidgety during the whole message. And one of the things that I said is that Jesus said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You You could have the whole world, not just a city block or an island, but if you forfeit your soul, I said, your soul is too valuable. What will you give in exchange for your soul? To steal a line from Ray Comfort. If I told you That I would give you $10 million right now for your eyes. Would you give me your eyes for $10 million? No way. Why? Because they're precious to you. How much would you sell your soul for? I saw the guy fidgeting. So when the service was over, I gave an invitation. I'm standing in the food line and he comes up to me. He happens to be by me in the food line. He says, can I talk to you privately? And we walked around the corner out of the food line. And he says to me, what you said today, I've walked away from the Lord. I used to go to church. And he said, I was totally convicted and everything in me wanted to come forward when you gave that invitation, but I couldn't get out of my seat. I want to give my life to Christ. I'm off track. I've lost my way. And so we're off on the corner, you know, around the corner. And he was kind of fearful to do it in front of his employee buddies. And he gave his life back to Christ. Because he, he saw the emptiness of, you know, material possessions remember the man who looks at his goods and he says, I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns. And the Lord says, you fool, this very night your soul will be required of you. Then what's going to happen to your possessions? It doesn't matter. How many of you saw the craziness on Black Friday? Why do they call it Black Friday? It seems to be a bit of a dark day for America. Because then you see the foot... Now, look, if you went out on Black Friday, talk to me later. We'll help you repent. And now. Look, I know there are some good deals, but do you see how people... Look, you ain't even finishing your turkey and pumpkin pie. People go, which, which store are you going to go to? We're going to go to that store. We're going to. They open at 6 now. Six, 6 in the morning on Thanksgiving. I mean, it's getting earlier and earlier now, right? And they go, and people... They'll pummel each other for the doll that's on sale or the big screen, right? I gotta save that money. I gotta, I gotta have it. I gotta get it. <laughs> what? You gotta do what? You already got three of the things, right? But I gotta get this one's. This one's five inches bigger. So measuring diagonally, it's 6.5. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away and it's also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God abides for ever. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not wrong to have cars and televisions in a nice home but it is wrong if they have you. You know, Jesus talked about how wealth was an inhibitor to many people. The rich young ruler, it's difficult. He didn't want to give up what he had. We know that there are people in the Bible who are very wealthy, like Abraham, and it didn't seem to be an issue for them. You just have to keep it in its proper place. The merchants of these things, 15, who became rich, from her from Babylon will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning. They will say, Woe, woe, or alas, alas, sixteen, the great city, she who clothed was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, woe, woe! For in one hour such great wealth has been laid waste. And every shipmaster, every passenger and sailor, and as many as make their living by the sea, stood at a distance. They're, They're not helping. They're standing afar off. And they were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning. And they said, what city is like the great city? Where will these ships be? Could it be the Persian Gulf? What area are we talking about? What part of the world is this city? Where is Babylon? Who is Babylon? New York? Oh, that's too close to home, Pastor Michael. I don't know. Is it just a composite? Is the city kind of an image of all that is anti-God? I'll, I'll let you wrestle with it. Zephaniah 1.18 says neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath. All the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy for he will make a complete end, indeed a terrifying one of all the inhabitants of the earth. I was listening to John Corson. He said when he uh, disciples young men, he, he encourages them during the week to spend an hour at the junkyard. Like Why? He says, Well, just watch as they smash the cars at the junkyard. Spend about an hour there in deep meditation. Because each of those automobiles that are at the junkyard were once somebody's baby that they shined. Oh, nobody has a ride like you. <laughs> if you're talking to your car, you might want to get some help, by the way. I've been talking to my Harley for a little while. So. I think I need some help. But anyway, right? But then they get smashed into basically tin cans. See, this is just the way of the fallen world. They went so far, they were so bummed out about her burning that they threw dust on their heads. You can look at Lamentations 2.10, Job 2.12. Seems to be more of a Jewish expression, but... They they threw dust on their heads. They were crying out. They were weeping. They were mourning. They were saying, Whoa, whoa, the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour, she has been laid waste. Everybody's boohooing. People of business are crying. But there is a group that's reacting differently. It's found in verse 20. It says, rejoice over her, O heaven. And you saints and holy apostles, or you saints and apostles and prophets, the, the new King James has holy apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. You see, this Babylon, she, her cup was filled with the blood of saints and prophets. She persecuted God's people. It wasn't just about her business. Look, if you're a good business person, credit to you. There's nothing wrong with business. We should be good at business. But their business was at the detriment of God's people. Their God had become mammon. And God paid her back eventually. A strong angel took up a stone, like a great millstone used for grinding, verse 21. Threw it into the sea, saying, Thus will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. She's going to sink like lead. Write this down. This is Jeremiah 51, 63, and 64. It will come about as soon as you finish reading this scroll. You will tie a stone to it and throw it into the middle of the Euphrates and say, Just so shall Babylon sink down and not rise again. Because of the calamity that I'm going to bring upon her, they will become exhausted. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. Jesus talked about a millstone. Do you remember what he said? He said, If you stumble, one of these little ones who believe in me, you cause them to stumble. It would be better for you if you took a heavy millstone, put it around your neck, and you were drowned in the depths of the sea. It would be better for you to do that than to stumble one of these little ones who believe in me. The little ones are either uh, believers or young believers in Christ, or they could be little children who are coming to Christ, or not coming to Christ because of the influence, get this, of Babylon. Now, just park for a second. We have a system today. It is uh, basically entrenched with humanism that is trying to eradicate belief in Jesus Christ out of every child, every teenager, every young adult in this country. Do you believe it? It is an agenda that has been going on for decades and you can track it back to pieces of literature, letters, plans that have been And they are executing their plan today. And their plan is to eradicate Christianity from the landscape. And let me just say to you, they've done a pretty good job. Today, they're saying, and it's not even seniors in high school now. It's it's going down to juniors and even junior high. We are losing, please hear me well, 70% of the kids that graduate from high school that go to churches are walking away from their faith. Why? Because when they go to the secular world, the secular university, what do they get? Commercials against God. Anti-God. You're a fool if you believe that. You're an idiot if you believe that. And they're not ready to handle it because, let's, be, let's face it, for many Christian kids, they've played a lot of games and heard some major Bible stories, but they don't, they're not really good about worldview stuff, and they're not really good about apologetics. Can I just be honest with you, parents? If, if, if we want to get them grounded better, we better get them, you know, trained in the arguments for the faith, and the arguments are really good. They're really good. And the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer, 22. No craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. The sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer, 23. The light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. The voice of the bridegroom and bride will not be heard in you any longer. Your merchants were the great men of the earth because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. The word for sorcery is pharmakia. It's where we get the idea of drugs or a pharmacy. Drug use was big in ancient sorcery and witchcraft. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. She has destroyed many lives. She's destroyed, notice, prophets, saints, and slain many on the earth for the sake of her agenda. And this is why God judges her. You know, some of you, you may be thinking, man, Pastor Michael, Revelation 18 is a bummer. (laughs) It's Christmas. Yeah, it is. But we're in Revelation right now. Here's the thing. Do you see why she gets judged? Because she killed God's people. And God takes persecution against his people very seriously. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful that he does. And in Revelation 19, Jesus is about to touch the earth. Heaven After these things I heard, as it were, a loud voice of a great multitude where, in heaven. And they said, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Because his judgments are what? They are true and they are righteous. And you're going to have to come back next Wednesday to watch him come back. And he's going to come back. And oh, it's going to be glorious. He's the word of God. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And you will be very grateful on that day that you're on his team. Amen? Father, thank you so much for your word. We just praise you that even though we had some tough material here in Revelation, uh, it's the truth of what's coming. You know, Peter says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? And Lord, we all we all need the challenge because we get pulled towards Babylon so easily. I confess it. The pull is strong. The charm is there. Uh, it can be hard to fight it. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see behind the veneer, behind the veil, to see what it is and what it does, to not participate in its sins. Lord, help us to be wise in our generation. Help us to be bearers of the good news of the gospel, this good news of great joy for all people. Let us preach the hope of not an empty system that's anti-God and just about materialism, but let us preach the hope of a God who fills the empty spaces, who gives us true meaning and true riches and true hope. And I pray that your people who have come tonight and those who may listen to this later would abide in hope and look to you, the author and perfecter of their faith. You are strong, you are mighty. And thank you that you have saved us so incredibly. And I pray that our hearts would be continually open to how you would use us in people's lives and the everyday moments that are ahead, the weeks that are ahead with holidays and shopping and maybe some empty people around us. Let us just pray, Lord, use me. I wanna be tuned into the voice of my shepherd today. Use me in people's lives to preach the hope of the gospel. I pray that in Jesus' holy name, amen. Would you stand?